Well, this morning here we got the righteous remnant. This is really the righteous remnant here. We got three three of us here, four of us here. Um, I spoke last Friday, I believe, on the issue of uh, corruption in the clergy. We're, we're getting lots of lots of press here. You know, Sandy even just this morning showed me uh, the front page article in the uh, Finger Lakes Times has to do with a sexual abuse crisis amongst the clergy. Very, very serious issue. Um, and I, you know, I, I spoke about it, I think it was last Friday, or it might have, might have been the Friday before. And, um, and then I spoke about it uh, at a daily mass in Clyde. And then after that mass, the, the parishioner said to me, you know, you should probably speak about this in a, at a Sunday mass. So I think I am going to probably talk about it in a broader you know, setting and context. So if you can pray for me, it's going to be real important that I, I'm able to do it in a, in a helpful fashion and that it doesn't, you know, turn into Tedeschi putting his foot in his mouth or saying something stupid or whatever, but it's something that's um, going to be really beneficial, okay, for the community. So please pray for me. I'm, I'm, I might even speak about it actually on the Assumption of Mary um, because our readings uh, for that feast are actually pretty relevant um, to the issue. And you know, even today, I, I look at this just because it's on my mind because I've been following blogs and reading stuff online. And it, you know, really, it has to do with Cardinal McCarrick. I think is the big one for me um, because what we're looking at here is the issue now, you know, amongst priests. But we're looking at bishops at this point. Okay, um, that the problem amongst the priests is symptomatic of a larger problem that goes up really high in the church amongst the bishops themselves. So uh, I think it's really McCarrick who's who's the issue with McCarrick that has kind of really stirred this larger sort of activity on the Internet um, and has stirred certainly me and my, my heart in this issue. So it's on my mind. So I'm sorry if I kind of interpret even today's text in light of this. But if we look at Ezekiel today, this is a really fascinating vision that the priest Ezekiel has. So notice he's a priest, okay, Old Testament priest, who was called to be a prophet as well. So it's a, you know, because not all prophets were priests, so some of the priests, though, were also called to be prophets, and, and that's true for Ezekiel. It's very interesting. So this priest, Ezekiel, has a vision of God, of the glory of God. And one of the things that's being taught here is that both within the Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition, this vision of God that we see in Ezekiel is referred to as the, the chariot of God. So it's a very interesting chariot. Here's God who's riding on a, a kind of a chariot, but this chariot is multidirectional. All right, it goes four ways. All right, it doesn't, and it goes up and down. So it's like a universal chariot. It doesn't just move, you know, front and back and turn like that. It goes. And uh, one of the one of the points or the issues here that God is trying to convey is that the the true religion and the true God cannot be confined to the borders of Israel, and that was the problem and the issue at the time because the Jews were saying, "Well, the temple's been destroyed. Um, is God no longer God because He's let His land fall into, you know, uh, trouble and problems?" And uh, God is saying to them, "No." You can't contain me within the borders of Israel. I am the God of the universe, so I'm universal. Okay, that's one of the issues that's going on there. Also, whenever we see in the Old Testament any kind of uh, vision or image 
of God in a human form, it's a foreshadowing of the incarnation when God would actually become uh, a human being in Jesus Christ. So when we look at this image of the chariot, we actually see this is this is Jesus. Um, and it's been traditionally interpreted that way, including the animals that are the different faces on the, on the cherubim that are... Um, uh, that are guiding this chariot. You know, you've got a man, you've got an angel, um, or a man, let's see here, you've got a man slash angel on the one hand, then you've got an ox, you've got an eagle, and you've got a lion. So those are the four animals, and they become a symbol of the gospel. So if, I don't know if our gospel book has it, but in the other two churches, you lift up the gospel book, it's got the four animals on it. So it all goes back to Ezekiel, and those are thought to be symbolic of the four gospels, things like that. So... We're looking at a prophetic uh, image of the gospel when we look at this chariot. We're looking at Jesus Christ. Just draw your attention to three aspects of the image. It says, from the likeness of his waist up, it was electrum. From the likeness of his waist down, it was fire. And then he was surrounded by this kind of splendor that looked like a rainbow. All right, So there's these three kind of traits to this image of the man that's on the throne. And uh, what I, I think, I, my attention really automatically is drawn actually to the fire part. And I believe it's an image of chastity. Okay, So that in Jesus Christ, who was, who is our high priest, who, you know, was and is celibate man, okay, you have this fire. And it's a, it's a symbol of his chastity that within Christ there is perfect integrity in that area of his life. So in fact, I think in other translations it doesn't say from the waist down, but from the loins down. Loins in the Old Testament becomes all the more a symbol of a man's sort of like the, the genitals, but also like the, the just the pelvic region, which is a symbol of sexual energy, but also just masculinity and strength in general. Okay, so it's a symbol of strength and masculine energy, that that kind of thing. But it has kind of a sexual um, connotation to it as well. So we see from the loins down this fire. But notice that the fire is contained. It has a form to it. It's got borders. Okay, It's not destroying and lighting on fire everything around it. Okay, and that, that's the issue. Chastity is a virtue that takes sexual energy and contains it and orders it properly. Okay, I often say, especially to the young kids when we're talking about the birds and the bees and these issues, is that our sexuality as human beings, uh, it can be used for good or for evil. It can be used, uh, it's like fire. Okay, so if you contain fire and you keep it in the oven or keep it in the furnace, it does a lot of good. Okay, it keeps us alive. It heats the house. It cooks the food. All of that kind of stuff. So it's a beneficial energy. But if it gets outside the boundaries of the furnace, what happens? It burns the house down. It destroys things. So you've got this energy, and it needs to be contained properly and put to good use. And I think we see that in this image of Christ, who was a celibate male, and he... And he he took his sexual energy and he ordered it properly towards, uh, basically he, he took it and it was elevated and spiritualized and the psychologists refer to the sublimation. And uh, he made it uh, fruitful for the good of the church.
Okay, so all that masculine energy, that strength that has a sexual dimension to it, it was properly ordered towards a paternal role, uh, defending the church, building her up, dying for her, all of that positive, positive energy. But the problem with with uh, sins against chastity is that you take that fire and you let it break out of its boundaries and, it, and then it destroys the house. Um, what else are we seeing in this image? From the waist up is electrum. I believe that's a symbol of spirituality so that a man's heart and a man's mind has to be spiritual and not carnal-minded. Okay, And then he's surrounded by a rainbow. What's the rainbow? Well, in the Bible, the rainbow is a symbol of God's fidelity to his promises. Because if we go back to the story of Noah, God says, I promise not to do, uh, not to destroy the world um, again. And the guarantee of my fidelity to this promise will be the bow that I place in the clouds. So a rainbow is a symbol of fidelity to God's covenant. Uh, for the priest, it has to be fidelity to his promises that he made to the church in the presence of God, and that he is submissive to his bishop, he is chaste, and uh, uh, you know will order his sexuality aright and and order it towards the good of the community, and not as a destructive force, but as something you know good. And then his promise to uh, his prayers that he is to pray every day. So those three promises that diocesan priests take and then religious priests take a little bit different, they take vows and it's a little bit different nature there. It has to do with poverty and things like that. But in any event, that's the fidelity that the priest Ezekiel sees and he sees Jesus. And every priest has to have that, that clear vision. They have to have that clear vision of the, of the fire, of the electrum, the spirituality, the chastity and the fidelity. Every priest has to have that vision. Uh, otherwise, there's going to be real, real big problems. Um, it's true, though, for, for all of us in the church, for laity as well uh, as, as priests. Um, those qualities are for everybody. Chastity um, you know, is ordered t- towards the good of your family, of your spouse. Um, you know, if you're a single person, your chastity is ordered towards the good of the community. And uh, you have to be faithful to whatever commitments that you've made and, uh, and faithful fundamentally to, to God's um, law and to the requirements of the gospel. So my brothers and sisters, this is just a reflection here on these, these timely issues. Uh, let's pray for faithful priests. Let's pray for a faithful and chaste uh, laity and for the healing of, of the church.